This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. You know, I often say, hey, come, come in any way in, right? Come just as you are. Right? God receives us just as we are with our brokenness, with our struggle, with our burdens, with our anxiety, all those things. Just come as you are. But boy, after you encounter a God that loves you like he loves you, don't leave the same. Don't leave discouraged. Don't leave anxious. Don't leave hopeless. Leave with joy knowing what God has done. Like If you don't hear anything else in the next two hours while I preach, just hear that. Just kidding. Hear that. All right, so that's what Paul is saying. And at the end, uh, or the beginning of chapter 15, which we talked about four months ago, which I'm sure you all very much remember, Paul said this to them in chapter 1 of verse 15. He said, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong, not you know, strong like muscular, not strong with money, not strong with military, not strong with political power, strong in faith. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. What Paul has been saying to us is that those of us who know Jesus and are maturing in faith, we are called to lift up those who are weak in faith. And I said, sometimes the people who are weak in faith might actually be really strong physically. They might actually be really strong politically. They might be actually strong militarily. But they're weak in faith. And the privilege and joy it is for us who know Jesus and are seeking to know Jesus is to go and to care for and to encourage. And so this ending of the letter from Paul to the Romans is this whole commissioning and sending out Paul. In light of, he said, here's what I've done. Here's what God's done for you in Christ. Now live this way. Come as you are, but don't leave the way you came. So that's the context of where we are right now. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, chapter 15, verses 14 and following. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. The word of God for the people of God. Maybe may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and for this word. We pray that as we hear what you're saying, that, Lord, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, 
uh, but that hands and feet that would go and serve. Lord, what is it that you're calling us to do? Pray that we would learn something this morning, but as an act of obedience in light of what Jesus has done, that we would do something. What's the thing you're calling us to do in light of all that you have done? Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. If you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas. That's wisdom from my mom. Karen. Garbage in, garbage out. You take in a bunch of trash, it's what's going to come out of you. These are the things that my mom uh, would say to me. Another phrase that she would write on a note if she was gone when we got home from school was to hear the things that you're supposed to do, and always it included this, and have a cookie if you wish. So my brother and I love to say, have a cookie if you wish, because we have like 10. These are the little phrases that you remember that your, your mom uh, gave to you. you. You remember some of those phrases. What are they? What are those things, those little uh, truisms, those little statements that your mom gave to you? What, what do moms do? Moms want to raise up and encourage people to become flourishing adults. Right? I heard someone say, when you're thinking about parenting, we're not raising children. We're raising adults. We want our children to grow and flourish and to become their own people, to live out their faith in meaningful ways in the world. Because if they're still living at home, and that doesn't mean that you can't live at home for certain reasons for certain times, I'm not saying that, but if at 50 years old they're still living at home, right, you go, there's a problem here. Can you eat your soup? Ready? Say, ah, ooh. Right, if you're feeding your 50-year-old son, that's a problem. We want to raise adults. We want our, our children to mature. And moms help in that process in wonderful and beautiful ways. And the, the vision of Woodland Presbyterian Church is to mature God's people to serve a hurting world. Right? Our vision as a community of faith is to mature you that we would mature one another so that we can go out and serve a hurting world. And here what Paul is saying to the people is that, is that it's not enough for you just to simply listen to what I'm saying. Yes, I'm an apostle and I've been sent to you and I, want to write, I wrote you this letter. It's not, just, just, it's not enough just to listen. I'm calling you now to think about what is the way that you can grow and serve in ministry. Because Paul's not raising baby Christians. He's raising followers of Jesus that will take ownership of what he's taught them in the gospel and to go out into the world to the nations and to their neighbors to love him. He's encouraging them to think about what is your ministry what is the area where you are called to serve? In light of everything that he said in the first 14 chapters, what is the way that you're called to serve? What's your ministry? And we learn about what our ministry can be in light of looking at what Paul's ministry was to them. Paul had a ministry, and he reveals to us what does it look like. You know, we've talked about this uh, about serving and loving and, and sharing. But I want you to think about this morning, what's your ministry? Where is the unique place that God has called you to serve in this world? And are you trusting God enough to walk out on the waters and take risks for him so that he would be glorified in you, whether or not you fail or succeed in a worldly sense? What's your ministry? That's the big question that you have to ask before you leave this morning, Paul gives them a word of encouragement. He says to them, he says to them, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
He has, they have what it takes already. Paul is writing this letter to them. He's hoping to go and visit them, and eventually he does get to visit them. But he knows because they've been given the Holy Spirit, because they're in relationship with God through Jesus, they have what it takes. Not in their own power, not because of their own cleverness, but because they have the Lord. And that's what I want you to know this morning. You have what it takes to have a ministry. You have what it takes to have a life of significance. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the Lord working in you and through you. But you are a vessel of the good news. And God has uniquely positioned you in a certain place at a certain time for his sake, for his glory. And so how are you exercising your gifts to trust God to be on mission and in ministry for him? Only you can answer that. I can't tell you what it is. But I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to tell you as we sit here in this next 20 minutes that you would hear from God and you would say, yes, Lord, this is something that I'm going to do in light of what you've done. What's your ministry? And here's the deal. It's going to look different for every person in this room. For some people, it means standing up on Sunday wearing a blue blazer and talking to people from a pulpit. That's some people's ministry. It happens to be my ministry here. It's just one of the parts of my ministry And it's not the ministry that you have here. But you have a ministry. God made you just the way he made you so that you could glorify him through your life. And there are ways that you can do it the way that God has uniquely gifted you that I could never do it. I could never do it the way that God has positioned you to do it. And you're in relationship with people that I'll never meet. And it's a beautiful thing. Not that I wouldn't meet them. I would be happy to meet them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you know people that I don't know. And God wants to use you in their life. And so what does this mean? Sometimes it's a public ministry where you go and talk and you share things with, with people. But sometimes it's serving someone who's vulnerable. Someone in your community, someone in your family who is in need. It's coming alongside them and saying, how can I help you through this challenging situation? How can I specifically pray for you? Is there something that you need? A physical, tangible thing. It could mean being an advocate for someone who doesn't have a voice. It can mean teaching someone how to read. You know, if you know how to read, you can teach someone how to read. You know how you do it? You read to them. Here's the thing. This is what uh, Noel Fenderson said to us last week. If we were designed for perfect fellowship, we'd already be in heaven. If God wanted us perfect worship, he'd taken us to heaven. If God wanted us to have perfect knowledge, he'd take us to heaven. And because he hasn't, it means there's something for us to do that only we can do that God wants to use us for. Paul gives them a couple of reasons why he's writing to them. Verse 15, he says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. Think about this. Paul, who was a Jew, who grew up in the Jewish tradition, said, I feel called to go to the Gentiles. I feel called to go to the Gentiles. But what Paul is doing is he's reminding them of the gospel. This is what I shared with you earlier, right? You're not in relationship with God because of the good deeds that you've done, because you can't do enough to cover up your sin. But because of what Jesus did, he has covered your sin, and that's the good news of the gospel. And if he's given you the gospel, then guess what he wants you to do is to share the gospel in both word and in deed. And I think that we can learn something because Paul not only feels like his ministry is to go to the Gentiles, the people who were at the time outside the covenant of God, Later, he says, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. 
He's going to go to the places where he can share with people who've never heard it before. Who are the people in your life who've never really heard it before? See, God wants us to go and to share. He wants us to, to love and to encourage. And he does this because he's, he's not like mad at us and he's not disappointed with us. He knows that our biggest sense of satisfaction and joy can come when we're on mission for him. That being invited in his ministry and to his service is the most wonderful thing that we can ever be part of. There are other great things that you can be a part of. Being on a team that wins a championship or building a successful business or, or raising children that are successful. Those are all wonderful things. But you can also do those things while you glorify God and serve him. Our motivation is to, to love and to serve and to honor Jesus because guess what? He's done that for us. So anytime we share, anytime we think about our ministry, it's always as a result of what God has done. So the first reason that uh, he gives them uh, is this reminder of the gospel. But then he also, he says, the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ by the Gentiles. Again, he's going to those people who have never heard it before. Who are the people in your life who have never heard it before? So three things about Paul's ministry. He has a priestly ministry, a powerful ministry. Priestly, powerful. Let me look at the back here. What's the last one? Pioneering. And they all begin with P. Priestly, powerful, and pioneering. He tells us he has a priestly ministry. He says this. Look, verse 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Think about that. He's going to give them the gospel so that Gentiles, people outside the covenant, become acceptable to God. They're then brought into the covenant family. What an awesome blessing to be part of that. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit they'll be. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. In this section, Paul uses four or five different words that are connected to the priesthood. He uses the word liturgios, which is translated minister. It means a public servant. He uses a lot of words in here that describe this priestly aspect. And so here's the thing I want you to I want you I'm trying to convince you of this. Paul has a priestly ministry. You have a priestly ministry. What does it mean to be a priest? Right? We have a picture in mind of what a priest is. But what Paul is talking about is something different than that. Right? A prophet is a person who speaks to the people for God. A priest is a person who speaks to God for the people. When you share your faith, with someone, when you serve someone in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, with the gospel, you are speaking to God on their behalf. You are essentially trying to usher this person into the presence of God so that they would have an opportunity to see the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. The same sacrificial, beautiful love that you've experienced, you're saying, I'm an usher. What does an usher do, right? An usher doesn't put on the show. An usher welcomes you as you come in and takes you to a place where you can see and encounter the living God, right? You go to a play, there's an usher, they got a little light, they're walking down here. Here's your seat. Now you can experience it. You're not the experience. The usher, you don't go to see the usher unless you're going to see Usher, the singer himself, with capital U. You're going, an usher brings you to the place. When you usher someone into the kingdom of God, sorry, dad jokes on Mother's Day, what can I say? When you usher someone, you're just saying, hey, get to this place. 
where you can see what I've seen, where you can encounter what I've encountered, where you can know what I know. Only God can reveal himself to you and allow you to experience his glory. But let me just get you in a place where you can see it. Right? Because if you go to a play and it's dark and there's steps, that usher has a little flashlight, right? And they can walk you. They can guide you. Watch out for this step. Make sure you turn right here. Go down the aisle this way. The usher puts you in the place. They remove the obstacles. They remove the hindrances. They create space for a person to encounter God. And that's a priestly ministry. That's a priestly ministry. You see, people need to have the obstacles of faith removed. Because they've encountered Christians, frankly, who are jerks. Who just point the finger and say, well, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this. And hey, that may be true. But you know, we're all going to go to hell if we don't know Jesus. So let's engage people in a loving manner. Point them to the scriptures to serve them and to show them an example of, of a Jesus follower who cares about their struggle and about their hurt, not about their bad behavior. Because guess what? We all had bad behavior. And we're all behaving badly. And yet Jesus still loves us. So let's enter into life and to struggle in a priestly way to usher people into the kingdom of God of God because you know what happens when you usher someone into the kingdom of God they have an opportunity to encounter the glory of God you see there's two major roles that we have as followers of Jesus one is to worship and part of that is what we do on Sunday morning but but most of that is how we live our lives every single day are we glorifying and honoring God in our life with our money with our thoughts with our actions with our words that's all worship and that's one thing that we can do. But another primary task is witness. It's just saying, here's what we know about this God that we worship. Here's what God has done in my life. It's worship and witness. And you see what happens when people see your witness and some of the obstacles to faith are removed and they encounter the glory of God, they begin to worship God. They begin to say, you know what, this God that this person talks about is indeed worthy of sacrifice and suffering and worship. And so I'm going to worship this God too because now I've seen this, what this God can do in a person's life. You're ushering that person into the kingdom, acting in a priestly way, and they become worshipers too. And then what do they begin doing? Ushering people into the kingdom. And it repeats. What a beautiful and glorious thing that that is. John Piper says that worship is the fuel and the goal of mission. That means the more we love and honor God, the more we're willing to go out to those who are far from God and to share with them the good news of Jesus because we know this God is worthy of being followed. And I gotta tell everybody I know because if they don't know, they're gonna miss out on the most glorious, wonderful thing that's ever existed. So the more I worship God, the more I wanna share my faith. It's the, it's the fuel of mission. But it's also the goal of mission because when a person who doesn't know God begins to worship God for his glory, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what our priestly role is. And that's what Paul was doing. He was going at great sacrifice to himself. But Paul never complains about it. Right? He's in jail for this stuff. And he's like, it's my great privilege to come and share with you because Paul has a picture of who God is that makes him understand that the sufferings of this world, the rejection that you might encounter, or the apathy of the person you share your faith with is nothing compared to the beauty and the glory of God. So he's highly motivated to share his faith. He's got a priestly ministry. He also has a powerful ministry. 
Look at what he says in verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished in me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. Think about this. Through Paul and his sacrifice and his, his understanding of his priestly role, he has led Gentiles, he has led people who are far from God into the kingdom of God through his word and through his actions. What I have said and what I have done, what you say in your ministry and what you do in your ministry are really vitally important. Right? And that's the whole idea of having the kind of character uh, that would reflect the character of Jesus as we share our faith, right? You, you can't tell people this is how you ought to be if we're not living in that same way. And there's a sense in which that none of us are completely right in all that we do. We're seeking to have godliness in every area so that when we say something about Jesus, people go, yeah, yeah, I, he, he's a person of integrity. I can see that because when she operates, she does so with honesty and with truth in ways that people around here don't. And so when she talks about God, I'm going to listen. Paul has a powerful ministry. What does it come from? He says, the power of signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit of God. There's a whole lot that he says here, but this power is the same power that God gave, gives us is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So you may feel like, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to share my faith. I'm not, I'm not good at this. That doesn't matter. Because you have the power of God working through you through the person of Jesus Christ. If you've got the power of God, then it's not your words that matter. It's not your actions that matter. It's ultimately Jesus' actions that matter. But how are people going to hear who, about who Jesus is unless someone tells them? They're not. They're just going to see the caricatures of Christians on TV and on the, the news stations. They need to see a person who just is saying, hey, I'm trying to follow this along here. I'm not doing it perfectly, but, but man, God's power is working in me because, you know, what? I used to feel super insecure all the time and anxious. But increasingly, as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, I realize that he's the prince of peace and he gives me peace. And where it used to be, I was so anxious. Now, in increasing ways, I have more peace. It's not perfect. Like, this is something that you can say. And hey, let me, let me uh, pick you up. Do you need a ride you need encouragement. Here's a note to say, I saw that you did on that project, and I want to tell you, you did a great job. That's powerful. Who likes to get an encouragement note? Anyone? Say yes, somebody. Right, yes. When someone gives you a note that says, I saw that you did that, it was great, made you go, okay, thank you. What is it like to give those words of encouragement? That's a powerful role, and it's the word of God that moves us to do that. Now, listen, I, I, I shared this with you uh, a couple of times. I, I, I converted um, a few years ago. I converted to the metric system. Okay, you know, I've told you about this a little bit. It's kind of a joke, but honestly, I've totally, fully adopted the metric system. It's currently 21 degrees outside. And I believe the metric system is, is a better system of measurement than the imperial system. And I've gotten a lot of pushback about this uh, from a lot of people. And I know people think that I'm weird, but I just, I, I'm, I'm full-on metric. It's based on an objective standard of measurement based on the circumference of the earth, not the king's foot, which is what you guys do. Okay? So... 
But I've experienced all kinds of persecution about this. Um, you know, people are like, there's two kinds of people, two kinds of countries, um, those who've landed on the moon and those who use the metric system. I've heard that before. What system of measurement does NASA use? The metric system. Like, if you've ever measured your grams of protein, you're using the metric system. For those, those of you old people like me, if you had a 35 millimeter camera, does anyone have a nine millimeter gun? Don't raise your hand. I hope you don't have it with you, right? Nine, nine millimeter. So you're using a metric system. So one time, um, I was at Kroger, and I asked the lady behind at the deli, I said, can I get a kilogram of turkey, please? <laughs> and she just kind of gave me that look, you know? You know the deli, they kind of got that look. Anyway, there's a guy over here standing next to me, and he's like, oh, what are you using the metric system for? I was like, oh, there's an opening. And uh, he goes, what do you want to do? Like the metric system, like all those impoverished countries. I'm like, like Sweden? Germany? Those? You know, the only countries that use the imperial system are uh, the United States, Myanmar, and Liberia. So, anyway. So he was giving me this grief about it. And I was gently pushing back, you know, and we were kind of talking about what it is and everything. But he felt, like, just offended, like I'm a communist or something because I'm using the metric. I've gotten that too, you commie. Um, I've experienced persecution for using the metric system. But I just gently respond in love and I share the benefits of the system. It's all, you know, it's all based on 10, right? So easy. Well, later on, I'm shopping around at the store, and he comes up to me. And he says, I'm really sorry. I'm like, oh, no, it's cool, man. It's fine. It's based on 10. Um, and he goes, no, I, he goes, I, my mother-in-law was from England, and she was always jamming the metric system down my throat. <laughs> I was like, I'm, re I'm really sorry about that. And I feel your pain, and I just want you to know that if you divide uh, 1,000 uh, meters into one kilometer, it just goes easily, right? No, so, he, so here's the issue. So what had happened was this guy had a negative experience of the metric system. And when I brought it up, he wasn't challenging whether or not it's a good system of measurement. He was drawing from his pain that he had experienced from his mother-in-law. I don't know how much pain it actually was, but nevertheless, he was making an argument with me about something totally different. I'm just talking about a system of measurement, and he's dealing with pain. And here's the thing, friends. When we talk about Jesus, we're going to encounter the same kind of thing. Because the objective reality is that Jesus is the best measurement system, right? Whether metric or imperial, Jesus is the standard by which we are to judge ourselves. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's offensive to people. And they've heard people talk about that, and they haven't liked it. And so if you bring up Jesus, you may get a weird objection. You may. You may get persecuted. You may have someone say to you, what are you doing? That's stupid. But you know what? Here's the thing. I would encourage you, lovingly, press into that and say, help me understand what it is you're saying. I'd like to know more about how you've come to that conclusion. A non-anxious presence to press in and to show love just like Jesus does is to enter in and to begin to say, well, let me just, 
I understand that there are issues and that there's conflict and there's tension. And I know you may have had a bad experience with your cousin who took an evangelism class or whatever, but let me just tell you about Jesus. Let me just show you from the Word. This is who Jesus is. Don't be afraid of the objection. Because you know what? Jesus is the standard. And if we push people, encourage people, we draw people to him, he's going to be the one who convinces them, not us. So don't be afraid to bring up Jesus. And if anybody wants to talk about the metric system, I'll be in the foyer after the service. The last thing is that Paul had a pioneering ministry. He says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that Paul went to Elycrium? If you look at the map, it's unlikely that Paul actually went there. I think what he's saying is the message of the gospel that I gave to people went into all those communities. Because guess what? The gospel went there. People were affected by it. And guess what? People that listened to Paul talk took it all into the whole community. What does that say to us? Those of you who are listening to me talk, who have been affected by Jesus, are now called to go into all those places where you're called to go. That's a pioneering ministry. Some people are called to go to another country to share the gospel in places where it does not already exist, where there is no church. But everybody's called to be a pioneer, to enter into those places and relationships with the love of Jesus, because there are hearts that have been unexplored yet that need to hear about the Lord. And the people that I'm talking about are the ones, are the faces of those who are popping up in your mind right now. It's a pioneering ministry. And so then we think, well, how do I do this, Matt? I don't know how to do this. I, I feel nervous about it. People, um, I heard someone say that everybody loves evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. And I understand that feeling because I think, well, what, what are they going to say? How are they going to respond? I've talked to them about it before. I don't really know what to do. I just want you to think about this. I don't have the answer that. But I want you to know that Jesus had a priestly ministry too. Jesus spoke to God on your behalf. He entered into your space. He entered into your life. And he said, this guy, Matt, I want him to be ours, Father. And God made it so. Fill in the blank with your name. Jesus' priestly ministry was to enter into a space in your life so that you could know him. Someone ushered you into the presence of Jesus, and it was Jesus' spirit that did that. And so when you're thinking about, Lord, I don't know what to do, think about how Jesus did it for you. Jesus had a powerful ministry, right? Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He can answer any objection. You don't have to have all the answers. You simply have to have Jesus. It's to say, who are the people that I can go and love in word and deed and show them the glory of Jesus. And Jesus had a pioneering ministry too, right? He entered into the brokenness of the world. He, somehow God, if he wanted to redeem the whole universe without coming, he could have done that. But he didn't do it that way because he wanted us to show us his own character, his own love, the depth of his love that he would be willing to lay his life down for you. Not to make you feel guilty, but to make you whole and to help you to see how much value you have as his disciple. He loves you so much. And he wants the people in your life to know that great love too. You don't have to know how to do it. You just do it. Did you know how to ride a bike the first time you got on a bike? No. But you got on it because it was going to be awesome. And you learned and you crashed and you failed. But you got on it and you rode it. 
your ministry is the same way. You don't have to have it figured out. You just say, Lord, I'm going to do it because you're worthy and you love me. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.